Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. James chapter 3. What a wonderful Father we do have. What a blessed Heavenly Father we do have. In the third chapter of the book of James, we'll begin reading with verse 1. And Father God, as we do approach your word, we do approach it reverently, we approach it humbly. And we thank you for its provisions in our lives. We trust our lives to its provisions. We thank you that by thy spirit, the word will go forth in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That our faith would be in your power. I thank you for attentive ears and receptive hearts. That your word may be received and conceived within the inner man. And we'd be doers of the word and not hearers only. To bring forth the life, the light, and the love of that word in Jesus' name. Amen. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a fire a little matter kindleth, a, a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Now, we're talking about the kingdom of God and its operation out of the heart of man. I've been teaching this in the evening services. This is my first time for presenting it on Sunday morning. But it's needful that we do. We want to give you some of the meat of the Word. Amen. We've been staying back on the milk on our Sunday morning services, but we're going to get in some of the meat of the Word. Give you something to chew on and digest. Notice here that James is saying... That we shouldn't be many masters or teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater judgment. And in verse 2, he tells us, for in many things we offend all. But if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. That word perfect means a completed character, fully mature. If he doesn't offend in word, he's also able to bridle the whole body. Here we have two characteristics of the perfect man. He does not offend in word, and he's able to bridle the whole body. Now remember, we're talking about the operation of the kingdom of God out of the heart of man. Jesus said, Seek ye the kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He said, Pray thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And the kingdom of God has come, and lo, it's not here or there, and it doesn't come without observation, but it's inside you, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is within inside you. But we need to grow up and develop in the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, the principles. And we saw here that in James, the third chapter, he laid down for us 
something that we need to understand and know. The operation of the kingdom of God inside the heart of man deals with the spirit, the soul, the body, and the tongue. The spirit, the soul, the body, and the tongue, which we'll refer to here as we go on. But these characteristics of this perfect man, he does not offend in word, and he's able also to bridle the whole body. Underline that word whole, the whole body. He's able also to bridle the whole body. Well, why doesn't he offend in his word? And why is he able to bridle the whole body? Well, the reason why he doesn't offend in word is because he's a perfect man. That's the reason why he doesn't offend in word. You see, completeness is, is of the spirit. To be complete in Christ is to be complete and fully developed in the characteristics of Christ, growing up into him in all things. All the things that we're to grow up into Christ are in the inner man, the spiritual forces. The forces of life come out of the inner man. So this perfect man is able to control his words. He does not offend with his words. The reason why he doesn't offend with his words is because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And because his heart is so filled up with the characteristics of God that all of his attributes, holiness, long-suffering, patience, the fruit of the Spirit, because he is so developed in that. Remember, James said the same as a perfect man. The perfect man... The man who lets patience have its perfect work is perfect, mature, entire, wanting nothing. Well, this man is able to bridle the whole body, and he's able also to speak words of life. Now, one of the characteristics of this perfect man is that he is developed, highly developed in the love of God, speaking the truth in love, growing up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. But Colossians, the third chapter, verse 14, tells us to put on charity or agape. Charity, agape love. Finally, after all these things, he says, put on charity or agape, which is the bond of perfectness. The bond of perfectness. Charity or the love of God is the bond of perfectness. So the reason why this man is able to control his words is because he's learned how to speak the truth in love. He's learned how to develop the love nature of God that's within him to bring it forth out of his spirit. So consequently, instead of speaking guile and speaking things that will be contrary to his true desire to himself and towards others, he speaks the word of God. He speaks the truth in love and grows up into Christ in all things. This is all coming out of love. Now, he's able to bridle the body is also, also is another characteristic of this fellow. Well, this here love that we have within inside of us pertains to the human spirit. We said these three things about the human spirit that you need to know. I'll reiterate a few points and then we'll go on. Number one, the human spirit has got to be saved. In order for that spirit to be perfect, it's got to have Christ in it. It's got to be saved. Two, well, the scripture references 1 Corinthians 5, 5. When Paul said, I've judged this man who's done this ungodly thing. And he said, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be what? That his spirit might be saved in the day of judgment. Don't take your salvation lightly. This man was saved as far as being born again. But his spirit man was in danger of losing his salvation. That his spirit might be saved, might be saved, or may be saved in the day of judgment. We talked about others who turned from the faith. This fellow got back into the sheepfold. But others turned from the faith and they actually came against the faith. Came against Paul's preachings. And consequently we call them apostates. Also in 2 Corinthians 7.1, we said that this human spirit has got to be cleansed. Having therefore these precious promises, dearly beloved, let us... Cleanse ourselves, 
cleanse ourselves. The word cleanse means purify or purge ourselves. Cleanse ourselves or purify ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting, perfecting, the same as a perfect man, perfecting holiness, purity, or the state of purity. Purge yourself or purify yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness or perfecting the state of purity in the fear of God. Our definition of the fear of God, if you don't have it, you need to have it. It's very important. It's found in the 34th Psalm, verses 11 through 13. You don't have to turn to it. The psalmist said, Come unto me, children, and I will teach you what the fear of the Lord is. Hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking God. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking God. Okay, so what he's saying is, the, the fear of the Lord is keeping your mouth, keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking gal is the fear of the Lord. Now, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting the state of purity by keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking gal. That's how this man, this perfect man, the man who has done this in his spirit, by using his words properly, by taking the word of God and using God's word in his life, he cleanses his, himself, his spirit. He purifies himself, even as he is pure. He that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. He cleanses himself from all filthiness and defilement of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness. He does not offend in word. He's also able to bridle the whole body. That's why this fellow can do this. According to what James is saying here, he's a perfect man. Now, not only does this human spirit have to be saved and cleansed, but we said the human spirit has got to be preserved. Now, we quote the scripture there in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 all the time, where Paul said that the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body, the triunity of man, the complete man, be preserved blameless. The word preserved means that we are to be kept in a state, this, 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 this human spirit is to be guarded, kept in a state of purity, and to be guarded from loss or injury by keeping the eye on. That's very important. To guard the spirit from loss or injury, you can injure your spirit, did you know that? You can have a break in your spirit or a breach in your spirit, did you know that? You can injure your spirit. Your spirit could suffer loss if you allow it. Why did he say to preserve it? Why does it say why did he say it needed to be preserved? Preserved, kept, or guarded from loss or injury by keeping the eye on. How do I keep my eye on my human spirit? Go back to Proverbs the fourth chapter. How do I guard my spirit from loss or injury? How do I do it? Fourth chapter and verse twenty three. Keep thyself. Keep thyself. Now, when we have to realize that when we're talking about ourselves, we're talking about the human spirit a lot of times, most of the time. You'll recall over there in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, he said, cleansing yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Well, the real man is the inner man, the hidden man of the heart. Now, here in Proverbs 4, 23, he's saying, keep your heart. Keep your heart. Keep your heart. 
The word keep means to guard or to protect. Aren't you glad that the word answers itself? Line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little. You find something here, it just corresponds to something else. Keep yourself, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues or the forces of life. Keep your heart. Keep it. Protect it. Protect it with all diligence. Diligently protect the inner man, because out from the inner man flow the issues or the forces of life. Well, how do I keep it? Next verse. Put away from thee a forward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Let's put it as the margin says it. Put away from thee forwardness of mouth and perverseness from, of lips put far from thee. Keep your heart diligently by putting away from thee a forward mouth and perverseness of lips put far from thee. Next verse, keep your eyes looking right on. Keep your eyes looking right on. Let thine eyes look right on and let your eyelids look straight before thee. That's exactly what the definition of that word preserve means. Keep your spirit guarded or protected from loss or injury by keeping your eye on it, looking right on it, keeping the eye on it. How do I do that? Well, I found out a very good rule. Sometimes I think we have overemphasized the confession part and neglected to realize that it comes out of the heart part. And you can't get overbalanced that way. It comes out of the heart. The words of your mouth are very important. And we'll see how important as we continue the study in James. But even more so, the reason why those words are important is because the forces of life that are coming out of you and being released in word form is telling you and telling me just where I am at spiritually. If I am speaking guile, if I am speaking doubt, if I am speaking neg ne you know, negatively, then it's telling me that I'm getting highly developed in all these wrong things. And the forces that I have been in contact with have contaminated my human spirit. I don't have to force myself to speak faith. It should come out of me and flow out of me because faith worketh by love. I should be developed in love. But when I let the root of bitterness spring up inside me, if I do, and I'm not going to do that, that is not my confession, I won't do that, because I will not yield to that, but purge myself and cleanse myself by fleeing youthful lust, avoiding foolish questions that gender strife, and get rid of all strife, and just cling to the love of God and let that love flow out of my spirit instead of bitterness and the wrong things, uncleanness and iniquity which we'll see here as we go along. Okay? So, by the words of my mouth, I locate myself spiritually. Where am I at spiritually? What am I saying? And when you find out what you're saying, you might want to go back and repent, and get back into the Word of God, get back into meditating the love of God, and start speaking that truth in love. Okay, this is how you do it. He tells you how to do it. But there's something else we need to know here in Proverbs 15. I want you to just look at this scripture. We went over these scriptures, but you could never go over them enough. And look at what it's saying, just and hold the thought. Because we're talking about perverseness of mouth, of your words, of your lips. Part A of Proverbs 15.4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. 
Now, he said, put perverseness of lips far from you. But perverseness therein, now note this, is a breach or a breaking or a fracture in the spirit. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in your speech, of your lips, in your mouth, it causes a breach in your spirit. Just hold that thought and go back to that book of James, the third chapter. He said, put perverseness of speech and of your lips far from you. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Perverseness there is it is a breaking in the spirit, a breach in the spirit. Now, not only is this man able to control his words and offend not in word, but he's also able to bridle the whole body. The whole body he's able to bridle. In verse, let's start with verse 3. Here's why he's able to do these things. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us. And we turn them out in their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. listeth. Now, James has given us an analogy, and he's saying that the makeup of the human spirit, soul, body, tongue, is likened unto a horse who has a rider with the reins and the bit in his mouth, or a ship who has a governor who has a helm connected to the rudder that causes the body to be turned, whithersoever the governor listed. We'll use the horse. We used this last time. We'll just very quickly go over it again. And then the rider on the horse. And we'll explain to you exactly how this man is able to control his whole body. And when people don't understand this, and, and you have to realize that it, people that are getting on with the Lord and growing up in Him and all things, you've got to understand this or you will not grow. You'll be a, a baby all the days of your life here on the earth. You go off to be in glory, but I don't want to be a baby when I get there, do you? I want to be a mature, completed Christian when I get there, don't you? Amen? So he says the rider on the horse is the spirit. And the reins will call the soul. And the bit in the horse's mouth will call the tongue. And of course, they're all connected to the body. But you have to have that kind of connection. The spirit must be connected to the tongue through the reins, through the soul. Spirit, soul, tongue, working together in order. Spirit, soul. The spirit man has the word in it. The mind is renewed by the word of God. My thinking is God's thinking. I think his ways and I think his thoughts. It's in my heart. It's in my mind. It's in my soul. It's in my words. It's when those three are lined up, then the body is controlled. Someone says, I can't stop my eating habits. I can't do this, and I can't do that. I have problems with this. I have problems with that. Well, here's the problem right here. We're not talking about mental ascent, but we're talking about getting the spirit man into its place that it is controlling the soul. And direction coming out of our spirits gives illumination to our minds so that we can control the words of our mouth and speak God's word in love. Then the body will react and line up. Just as the horse is turned just by pulling upon that rein in the affecting the bit that's in the horse's mouth, causing it to go one way or the other way, or to stop, or to go, or to whichever way to turn. 
it's that same, it's just as easy for the man who understands this operation to control his body. And because he does not offend his word, he's able also to bridle the whole body, the entirety of the body. Now let's read a few more scriptures. Even so the tongue, verse 5, is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body. It setteth on fire the course of nature, it is set on fire of hell. Now the tongue, number one, is a fire. The tongue, number two, is a world of iniquity. A fire and a world of iniquity. And among the members, notice this phrase, so is the tongue among our members. What does it do? Well, it's a fire, it's a world of iniquity. Among our members, it defiles the whole body, and it ignites the course of nature. It defiles the body, and it ignites or sets ablaze the course of nature. I'll read that from the Amplified. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of wickedness set among our members, contaminating and depraving the whole body, and setting on fire the will of birth, the cycle of man's nature being itself ignited by hell. What he's saying is that the tongue then, when it's hooked up to the body and to the world of iniquity, when it speaks words, those words that it's speaking will set ablaze the course of nature. It is set on fire of hell. And the operation of that cycle begins to take place. You speak death, it ignites inside the spirit. The spirit responds to death. That's how Adam died, physically. He was separated from God, but still he was programmed in the ways of faith. And then Satan got in the speaking his thinking his thoughts and speaking his words, and the human spirit began to correspond to that. And it set ablaze that fire of hell, and the operation of death began to take place out of his spirit. He became so contaminated in, in the ways of death in his spirit that his mind got renewed to death. All he did was begin to speak death, talk death. Everything was death. Wickedness, corrupt, corruption, everything. Man's heart the, the, in Genesis 6 was so wicked that the Father says, I've got to destroy him all off the face of the earth. That's how wicked he was. But you see, that thing was set ablaze. That nature, that cycle was set ablaze. It got to the soul. It got to the tongue. And finally that body corresponded and was just following the flow of death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So that's what happened. Now I want you to notice something here in the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. And I think this is one of the most important chapters you'll ever read. But I want you to see it in the light of what we just said. The reason why this fellow is able to control the body is because he understands this cycle. He knows how it operates. He knows how it works. And not only does he know it, he is a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And he begins to act upon what he knows. And because he acts upon what he knows, he sets a blaze in his life or sets a flame, not the course of nature, but he sets a blaze or sets a flame the course of righteousness. 
righteousness begins to, the nature of God takes over. It begins to react out of his spirit. And the cycle begins to take place. The spirit man has the life of God. The soul is renewed. The mind is renewed so that the light of God is, is given to the soul. The tongue begins to speak the word of God. As they begin to speak the word of God, the body corresponds. And it begins to walk in the ways of righteousness, which you'll see here. Look at the 12th verse. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now note here, first of all, verse 6. Your old man is crucified, that the body of sin might be destroyed, not put up with, not pampered, but destroyed. Destroyed the body of sin. That henceforth we should no longer serve sin. Verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments. The tongue was strategically located in the members of our body so that the tongue actually controls the movement of each member of the body. The tongue, if any man offend not in the word, he's able to bridle or to control the entire body if he gets the one member of his body under control, the tongue. Which you can only do through the Spirit when it's filled with the love of God and the Word of God. Okay, here's what it says. But yield your, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked you were servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered to you. Now the teacher of that form of doctrine was the satanic nature. And out of the heart, we yielded our members unto sin. All we were doing was obeying the nature of our spirit. From the spirit to the soul, to the tongue, to the body. All that whole cycle just kept right on going to drive us right into our graves. And finally into the second death, the lake of fire. Now, he's saying to us, we don't have to yield our members any longer unto unrighteousness, unto sin, unto iniquity. Because the principle or the teacher of sin was removed when you were born again. Next verse. What does it say? Verse 18. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Sin was removed when we accepted Christ. We were taken out of sin into the body of Christ. And the satanic nature was removed out of our spirit. And the divine nature became the new teacher of the senses, to the, of the members of our body. And the divine nature is in the human spirit. And that divine nature, we are to yield to it so that we can teach our members of our body to do what is right and holy and just before God. How do we do that? That's exactly what James is talking about. We begin to speak God's Word. We begin to meditate God's Word and fill up our heart with His love. We renew our mind by the Word of God to know what's right and wrong, discerning both good and evil, growing up in Him in all things. We begin to speak God's Word and our bodies begin to obey. And our members are no longer yielded unto sin, but yielded unto righteousness. Look at the next verse. 
I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, and remember, the tongue is the member in the body that controls all members. It's so situated among our members that it can set a blaze or a flame and ignite the course of nature or the cycle of that, that birth, nature of death. Or it could change that operation and allow the operation of the faith of God to begin to have its cycle in our, out of our human spirit. Now, here's what it says here. For as you have yielded your members, servants, to uncleanness. Note that word, uncleanness. Impurity. Uncleanness. Unpurging, rather. Not purifying. Unimpure. Okay. Now, note this. Cleansing yourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting purity. Let's look at that again. As you have yielded your members as servants to uncleanness... Cleanse yourselves, cleanse yourselves, become clean from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting purity, holiness. How? In the fear of God. How? By keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Next part. And to iniquity unto iniquity. Anyone that nameth the name of Christ is to depart Sever himself from iniquity. Again, how do I do that? So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. I'll show it to you in a minute. Last part. Even so now you, your members, servants to righteousness, of righteousness, to righteousness. Now note this. Righteousness is that nature that's in you, but unto what? The righteousness that's in you is to produce a holiness in you. Sanctification. Holiness. A purity of spirit, soul, and body. Okay. How do I do that? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness by keeping your mouth shut. And only speaking God's word out of your mouth. Or things that are wholesome. Things that are wholesome is a good way to say it. Well, let me give you... We gave you that scripture. Let me give you that another scripture. Go back to that Proverbs 15. We, we said something here that you need to understand. The effect that our tongue has, the words have on our spirit is awesome. It ignites the cycle of nature. Or it can ignite the operation of the faith of God. It could begin to draw from the source of life, or it can begin to draw from the source of death. In the 15th chapter again, we said to keep this thought in mind, verse 4. The wholesome tongue is the tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach or a breaking in the spirit. Now note 14th chapter and verse 30. We gave you these before. I want to reiterate them again. 1430. A sound heart or spirit is the life of the flesh. The sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy, rottenness of the bones. The effect a sound heart has in our bodies is tremendous. It's called health and healing. 
But the effect that... 15th chapter and verse 13. Again, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is one. Okay? The spirit is broken. Now hold that and look at 17.22. The sound heart, the merry heart, and we have the sorrow heart, or a broken heart, or spirit. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. The broken spirit drieth the bones. Now, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but words that are not wholesome cause a breach in the spirit. A breach in the spirit causes rottenness to the bones. But a healthy spirit, a joyful countenance, causes healing. Look at the third chapter of Proverbs, verse 7 and 8. The effect that all this has in the outer man, it's awesome. People are, are dying from bone diseases, sicknesses and diseases. People are having troubles like arthritis and rheumatism in their bodies and all these things that are showing up in the outer man. They don't realize that it's coming from the inner man. Say, so, boy, dear God, I never heard that before. Well, 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 you see, sickness and disease is spiritual. It's not physical. And the forces or the issues that are flowing out of your spirit will produce moistening to your bones and health and healing to all your body. Or it will cause defilement or contamination in your body. Sickness and disease. It will show up as sickness and disease. Now, over here in the third chapter, it's really, the, the, the writer here is showing us that it's the wisdom of God or the wisdom of this earth that's involved here. Look at the seventh verse. Be not wise in thine own eyes. The wisdom he's talking about is earthly, sensual, and devilish wisdom. James is reaffirming that to us when we go back to it in the third chapter. But he said, don't be wise in your own eyes. Notice the next part. Fear the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord, the scripture says, is the beginning of wisdom. Don't be wise with your own understanding and wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking God. That is the beginning of the wisdom of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? And depart from evil. Depart from iniquity. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow... Moistening to thy bones. When the human spirit begins to draw from the source of life and produce the wisdom of God to control through the mind to control the tongue, so that the tongue is speaking the word of God, then it will set ablaze the course of righteousness out of the human spirit to produce cleansing of the spirit, holiness, purity in the heart, so that the words will not be offensive that we speak, and the body will line up and have health and healing and moistening to our bones. This is exactly what he's saying. 
that's why Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise. Not in your own eyes, but the wise, according to God's word, the wise, according to His wisdom, the pure wisdom that comes from above, keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking gown, which is part of that wisdom. The tongue of the wise is what? Is what? Health. Healing. Medicine. You see it? Now let's show you the two wisdoms. Go back to James, that third chapter. Now, in this third chapter, you're going to have to meditate this, by the way. You're going to have to meditate this and get this into your spirit. In this third chapter, we'll just pick it up on verse 7. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed to mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil. Depart from that evil. Full of deadly poison. Fill it with the life of God's word. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed a blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. There's a fountain. The fountain there means source. Or a fount. A source. Send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him shew out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter, now notice this, bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Be not wise in thine own eyes. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Depart from the evil work. But the wisdom which is from above is first pure. First pure. Cleanse yourself. Holiness. Purity. First pure. With that word pure in mind, turn back a few pages to Hebrews 12. Pure. First pure. It's first of all pure. Verse 14. 12, 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, purity, the state of purity, without which shall no man see the Lord, looking diligently, keep that diligent look, protect the heart with all diligence, lest any man fail of the, or fall from the grace of God. Don't draw from the grace any longer, but you begin to draw from the other source of wisdom, the senses, devilish, demonic, earthly. Look at this next part. Lest any root of bitterness were to be rooted and grounded in love. That spring that's in us is the love of God. Okay? Lest any root of bitterness springing up. That's the bitter water. Springing up. Now listen to what it says. Trouble you and thereby many be what? Defiled. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. Don't get your spirit contaminated with the root of bitterness so that the fountain of your human spirit will be producing 
bitter water so that your moistening in your bones will be caused to dry up, producing defilement of the body and sickness and disease and everything else you can imagine. But now notice this. In, uh, well, you might as well hold your place there in James and turn back to Proverbs again. Because you've you got to see these scriptures in light of one another. Proverbs 16. The, the bitter source of wisdom comes from earthly, sensual, and devilish things. But the wisdom of God is born out of love. God's wisdom was Jesus going to Calvary. It was the wisdom of God that overthrew Satan. And 1 Corinthians 2 says, Had they known the wisdom of God, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But the wisdom was birthed out of His love because Jesus went to Calvary because God so loved the world. So out of, for out of love came wisdom. Out of wisdom came success. Okay. We saw what bitterness will do in your heart. Look at verse 23. The heart of the wise in God's wisdom teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. Not perverse lips. Put them far from you. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, sweet water, coming out of the well of the wisdom of God that's born out of His love in your heart, will produce sweet, pleasant words are sweet to the soul, coming out of your spirit to the soul. Now look, look at the next part. And health to the bones, not dryness of the bones. Can you see when you get that thing turned around, what it'll do to you? Sweet. The sweet water. That's the sweet water. That's producing the sweet water and letting that chorus begin to flow. Let the fountain of life. Now, there, look at, we saw over there 14 chapter. Go back to 14 chapter just, just a second. 14 chapter again. And that verse 27 we looked at. In light of all of what I just said, and including our definition of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, keeping your mouth from evil, your lips from evil, your tongue from speaking gal, your lips from speaking gal, is a fountain of life to do what? Listen to this. To depart from the snares of death, thou art snared by the words of thy mouth. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Thou art snared by the words of thy mouth. But the tongue that has no perverseness therein, who does not speak guile, is a fountain of life to produce sweet things to the soul, health and healing to the bones. Do you see it? Now go back to James, that third chapter again. See, verse 10, out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not, not so to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same? No, the fountain of life does not send forth bitter water. But the fountain of life sends forth sweet water. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. That's the wisdom of God. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. 
the sweet water of life should be flowing out of you. Don't let the root of bitterness begin to spring up in you to defile your body now that you've been born again. But draw from the water of life, the sweet water of life, and let it flow out of you by the wisdom of God so that you can have a renewed mind and a healthy body. I think we need to say something here, which was my intent from the beginning, but I, it was necessary to get all that out, to understand this. Our speaking is the result of our believing. And our believing is the result of our thinking. And our thinking is the result of our words. Our speaking is the result of our believing. Our believing is the result of our thinking. Our thinking is the result of our words. If you're going to have the wisdom of God, you're going to have to think His thoughts and meditate His word. I'm going to show you by the... Go back to Genesis, the third chapter. Verse 6. These two sources are real sources. God is real and Satan is real. God's wisdom is real and the wisdom of this world is real. We do not deny that. But the thing is, you have a choice to draw from either source. Now, here is exactly how all this started. This is how Satan got that fire lit so that he could ignite within the human spirit the course of his nature. That cycle could take place to destroy man. In the sixth verse, we find Eve, when the woman saw that the tree was good. Let's back up to verse 5 or 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not die. For God doth know in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw, Be not wise in thine own eyes, that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and that it was pleasant Pleasant words are in honeycomb. Pleasant, not to the spirit, but pleasant to the eyes of her understanding. Be not wise in thine own eyes. She took of the fruit thereof, or, next, verse, next part, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, earthly wisdom, sensual wisdom, demonic wisdom, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, let's follow this down, uh, and, and let's follow the steps that she made. Go back to James 1, and we'll follow the steps that she made. Well, I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but you've got to see this. I want to show you how to draw from the right fountain. I want you to begin to get this thing ignited in your life. I want you to start this cycle going in your life. Now, these things don't happen overnight. Bless God. Brother Hagin's been in it for 48 years or 50 years. And he says, I'm just learning now. Amen. So listen, if you just learn how to get this thing going and get this thing operating in your life. And you're going to grow into this thing until you become a tree of life and start walking as a tree of life and operating in these things of God. In the first chapter, verse 14, very quickly. 
But every man is tempted when he is drawn away, number one, of his own lust. Number two, lust is an unhealthy, uncontrolled desire. Unhealthy, uncontrolled desire. She saw that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. It's an unhealthy and uncontrolled desire to the outward man. Yeah, it was a tree to be desired, all right, to make one wise, all right, but with the wisdom of the devil, with the wisdom of the earth, with the wisdom of the senses. So your thoughts come from those three sources, from God or from the devil or from your environment. Let's say it like this. We said that words, uh, our thinking is the result of our words, okay? All the word they had was the word of God. In the, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And their thoughts were all right. And their believing was right. She believed that if I eat of this tree, I'll die. They did that, so they never ate from the tree. They believed right, they, they thought right, they believed right, they spoke right, and they acted right. One day, the thought comes. How did the thought come? Satan spoke. What did he speak? Words. What do those words say? You won't die. You won't die if you eat from that tree. No, you'll live and you'll be like God. Okay? What began to take place? She thought. What did she think? She began to think wrong. She saw the tree. Tree desire to make one wise. Well, looks like it's good to eat. Why did God say I shouldn't eat it? He said, I'll die. Well, maybe he was kidding. Maybe he wasn't. So, the environment around her, the tree said it was good to eat. It looked good to eat. It dictated to her senses that it was all right. That kind of wisdom satisfied her senses, satisfied her flesh, the loss of her eyes. It got her thinking wrong. Now, without those words, there would have been no wrong thinking. But when the words of the devil were implanted into her, her thinking was wrong. Then her believing was wrong. Maybe I won't die. Maybe it'll be all right if I do this. There's a lot of believers that are thinking wrong today. They think it's all right to go off and do some things that they do. Their thinking is wrong. They believe it's okay to do this. Well, their believing is wrong also because their thinking is wrong. And their thinking is wrong because they're not listening to God, they're listening to the devil. Or the thoughts of the environment around them. That's what she did. When her believing was wrong, her speaking was wrong. Well, you know, it might be all right if I partake of this one, but maybe I'll be all right. What did she, she probably began to talk. I, undoubtedly, her speaking became wrong. Look at what happened here in the next verse. She saw that it was a tree desire to make one wise. Then, when lust hath conceived, verse 15, when lust hath conceived, she conceived that in her heart. It got into her spirit. When she conceived the word spoken by the devil in her spirit, it ignited his nature. She conceived it, and then she brought forth, brought forth, out of her spirit, she brought forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, when it is ended, when it's come to completion, bring it forth death. She took Satan's words. She began to think wrong. She began to believe wrong. She began to speak wrong. She conceived it inside her heart. She brought forth sin. And sin, when it was finished, brought forth death. Now, you ready for the opposite effect? Bless God, one woman was told by the angel Gabriel, Woman, thou art highly favored among, uh, among all the women, and you're going to conceive in your womb the Son of the living God. How am I going to do it? She said. Well, think this thought. The power of the Almighty shall overshadow you, and you shall conceive in your womb the Son of the living God. Her senses told her that's impossible. Her earthly wisdom said that's unreasonable. People talk about it today. They don't believe in the virgin birth. That's unreasonable. 
Yeah, the worldly wisdom says that. The devil probably says, what in the world is this? How are you going to do that? You don't know a man. And all these wrong thoughts are surrounding her. You know what she said? Bless God, be it unto me. She thought about God and all His power and all His omnipotence, all His glory. And she conceived the Word inside her spirit. And when it brought forth, it brought forth the Son of the living God. And when it was finished, it brought forth life, eternal immortality. That's how it works. That's how this cycle works and operates. I know it's a lot for you to handle, but, but bless God, if you don't hear it, you're not going to ever, ever walk in the light of it. Amen? You'll never walk in the light of it. Now, listen. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the bringing down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Eve, you should have cast down that imagination. It exalted itself against the knowledge of God's Word. And you should have brought into captivity every thought. God said in the day that I eat thereof, I shall surely die. I will not conceive that thing in my womb and bring it forth out of my spirit to bring forth sin which brought forth death. I won't do it. Bless God, if God said, I die eating from that tree, I will not eat of that tree. But no, worldly wisdom, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, casting down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God's Word and bringing into captivity not one thought, not two thoughts, but every thought, every thought. Well, oh, that's a hard speaker. Who can hear it? Those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Every thought he said. Unto the obedience of Christ, not to the disobedience of Satan or the senses or of the flesh or of Adam. And having in a readiness, verse 6 says, or 2 Corinthians 5, that's where we're at, 10. 2 Corinthians 10, chapter verses 3 to 5, and then verse 6 says, Having in a readiness to avenge or to deliver yourself all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That word obedience and disobedient, mean, disobedient means having in a readiness to deliver yourself from all improper hearing when your proper hearing or hearkening is fulfilled. When you stop listening to all that talk about the wisdom of the world, the senses, false doctrine, and start listening and hearkening unto the wisdom of God. Matter of fact, I'm going to inject this right now. Look at second. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 6. We got to close here pretty soon, so we're going to get this on this tape. First Timothy six. Now notice that this is the same course that this, these men were taking that were opposing Paul. Verse three. First Timothy six, verse three. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words. What kind of words? What kind of words? Wholesome tongue is a what? If any man not consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, if your word of my word abides in you and you abide in me, you'll ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Okay, look what he said. And the, to the doctrine which is according to godliness, 
He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railing, evil surmisings. That's all the wisdom of the earth, the senses, the devil. Perverse, look at this, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, not sweet souls, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Well, I'll tell you what, we say, well, we love one another, and we love our brothers and sisters in the Lord, but I'll tell you what, this Paul knew who was his brother and sister, and all those that opposed the truth, he marked them and says, don't even have fellowship with them. Now, I'm not telling you who to hang around with or not, I'm just telling you what he, it's time that somebody stand up for the truth. They're destitute of the truth. They speak that this isn't for us today. They say that that's not for us today. They spoke and said that the resurrection is past. The virgin birth's not for us today. That's not for us today. Well, bless God, what is for us today? We're going to rip every page out of our Bible to find out what's for us today. Have one page left? No, it's all for us today. Being born again is for us today. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is for us today. Speaking in other tongues is for us today. Laying hands on the sick is for us today. Speaking the word in love is for us today. God's healing power is for us today. The glory of God's for us today. The resurrection of the dead is for us to believe in. Bless God. Amen. Being more than conquerors, heirs of God's for us today. Everything's for us today that's in this word. Glory be to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. Well, I want you to begin to see how this operates. Your words that these men are speaking are producing wrong thoughts. But the words that you're hearing today will produce right thoughts. You'll begin to think to how this thing operates. And as you begin to think about it, you'll conceive it inside your spirit. Your spirit man will send forth the flow and the issues of life. Your soul will become sweet with the word of God. Pleasant words are a honey, as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and then your tongue will not offend. You'll speak the truth in love, you'll control your body, and health and healing will flow and radiate, ooze out of your pores into, you see, the outward man and pour out of you the life of God. You know what that's called? It's called walking in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus unto the fullness. That's what it's called. Let the whole be full of light. Let them come and see the light just radiating from you. That's the glory you're being changed into. So let's close by saying that in James 2, or James 3, 2, it said that these pleasant words are a honeycomb. They speak the truth in love. This man, this perfect man, does not offend in his word. The bond of perfectness is the love of God. The love of God is radiating out of you, your person, out of your spirit, man. Your soul is renewed by the word of God. It produces health and healing to your bones. It keeps you in perfect peace, perfect peace, perfect love, cast out all fear. Charity is the bond of perfectness. Any man offend not a word to him as a perfect man. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is, the word stayed means to lean on or take a hold of. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind, lean not under your own understanding, trust the Lord with all your heart, whose mind is leaning on and taking a hold of him by his word. 
when that word is in your mind like that, you'll be staying in what kind of peace? Perfect man. You better look up the word perfect and find out where you can be perfect. Perfect love, cast out all fear, that means you could be perfected in love. Perfect peace. Peace acts as an umpire to guard your heart and mind. Perfect peace. You can be perfected in peace. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm just excited. I'm ready to shout. I'm ready to shout. I mean, just you have to digest this. But get this inside your inner man and begin to appropriate it. Get it to work and know that it's the truth. And just hang in there and keep on, just keep on keeping on in the Word. You just stay by that rivers of living water. You stay by that water. You stay there and let the Word of God make you be a tree of life, drawing from the source of that life. The fountain of life is that river, you know, that, that Psalm uh, 1 says, you'd be planted a tree like planted by the rivers of water. That's what the fountain you're drawing from. The spirit man is full of it. The soul is full of it. The tongue is full of it. Then finally the body is just controlled and kept healthy and whole. Amen? Well, praise God. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the meat of your word. I thank you, Father God, that the word that went forth is conceived in the heart of everyone that has heard it. I thank you that these ears were attentive and hearts were receptive. I thank you that the Spirit of God has done his job and done his work, dear Father God, by quickening that word inside their hearts. I thank you that, Father God, as doers of the word, you'll produce your life, your light, and your love through them. It'll cause health and healing to rise up within their bodies, dear Father God, and drive out all forms of sickness and disease and darkness. And, Father, you'll be glorified in it all. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.